What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome to episode 28 PM podcast, the first episode of 2024. Uh, and we're starting off with a banger. Chef Andrew Clark from Acme Fire Cult in London and from Skull Sessions podcast. The conversation I didn't know I needed. Um, but before we get into that, I'll say sorry for the delay in uh, podcasts. Uh, you know, I've been kicking my ass lately. Last year was uh, really rough for me personally, and uh, but then you know professionally everything really sort of went fantastically, which was unexpected. I was I was expecting the year to be focused on making my personal life better and dedicating it to people, and then my fucking work life just took over. It was the exact opposite of what I wanted. But you know, uh, life is what it is, and uh, when one thing's up, another's down, and so. Uh, when I took that trip to Asia at the end of that last year, that's when I did my last actual interview with Sham uh, Mazumder, who you can listen to. And then I did a um, bunch of podcasts on my Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash magazine. If you want to hear all those about my trip through Japan, Korea, and Vietnam. Uh, so those were, are not public, but I did a lot of pos- podcasting while I was there. But this was, this is my first interview that I did since October of last year. And, uh, yeah, as I said, I didn't know I needed it until, <laughs> until I started talking to Andrew and it, it's amazing that, that that was the first conversation that I had this year. I tried to start off the year on a positive note, but started the year off by just severing my finger in fucking half. And uh, I'm just now getting feeling back into it. Uh, you know, it's healed on the surface, but I can feel the nerves are not healed in there. It's like, I don't even know if I'm gonna have full feeling on my finger we'll see how long it takes to get that back i mean it's already got a weird scar to it my fingers looks really strange looks very different my fingerprints are not the same so uh but anyway uh so i didn't really get to start the year as as i would have liked because of my finger i couldn't really do uh the things like working out or um things i really wanted to do and then i sort of had a tough time finding interviews in the early half of the year. Um, and then all of a sudden, just recently, people have been responding to me a lot more. So I've been getting a lot more interviews. And as a quick side note, because Kitchen Life is so busy for me right now and taking up a lot of my time, I am looking for either like a producer or somebody to help me find people to interview. So if you are interested or you know somebody who might be, uh, send them my way. Anyway, uh, Andrew Clark. Like I said, I just contacted him and uh, actually, interestingly enough, I contacted him years ago, probably during the pandemic about writing an article for Peon back in the day and and he didn't respond. And, uh, you know, hearing what he has to say in this podcast, I understand now why he didn't respond. You know, he was going through his own shit and uh, <laughs> the last thing he needed was to write an article for some guy in a different country with an unheard of magazine. And, uh, yeah, that post was, was him openly talking about his depression and his drug addiction and how he sort of got through it. And, uh, that's mainly what this podcast is about. You know, he's a a guy who I really identify with in more ways than one, not just in the fact that he is so open about his depression, but also in the, the, the way that he sort of came up in kitchens and the work that he does on himself, his personal, the work that he does on his personal life and and, and his mental uh, stability. And um, 
And yeah, I really identify with that. I, I didn't know any of this before I started talking to him. I mean, he talks about uh, trying to be a musician when he was younger and and just sort of falling into kitchens and not being happy with that direction, which is something that happened to me exactly. And I don't think I really came to terms with or was grateful for the direction that my life was taking and just accepting that direction until just recently, like, like he did as well, you know, and I left kitchens because I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to go more in that direction. And I failed horribly at that. And I was miserable because of it. And I was really, really, really unhappy with the fact that I had to be in kitchens. Like that's the, that's the mentality I had to some degree. Uh, but also, you know, really attracted to kitchens at the same time. So, but I think a lot of my unhappiness and depression at that time when I was younger is sort of the same thing that chef Andrew Clark was going through, which is, you know, being unhappy with your situation and wanting to be somewhere else and, you know, using drugs and, and the availability of drugs and booze in kitchens to sort of mask that discomfort, you know, and, um, and falling into a cycle of failure, which is definitely what I did, like feeling like you're a failure and then hating yourself for it. And then, you know, uh, drinking because you, you hate your life and then getting up and doing it again. And like this cycle of, of self-hate and failure and you're failing because you think you're failing and then you're coping with it with booze. And then you feel like shit the next day because that's what you're used to. And then that cycle just keeps going and going and going and going. And it's, you know, it's a daily struggle. I think a lot of people in the industry feel that struggle as well. You know, you, you're not on, you're not happy with the restaurant you're in. You're not happy with your life. You're not happy with your living situation and all this kind of shit. And, being in kitchens just cycles back into it and you know whether you have a shitty day or a good day it all just it all just happens you know so it was really refreshing to hear chef clark talk about that i wasn't expecting him to say any of that stuff it's just a really uh unexpected conversation that really keyed into a lot of shit i'm dealing with right now you know it's it's also him talking a lot about being grateful in kitchens is the same same thing that i'm also going through right now, you know, being grateful and, um, and happy with, with what you recognize before as failure has led you to in a new direction, you know, being grateful that for, for that new direction and understanding that, that the new direction is not failure from unfulfilled dreams. It's just a different direction. And, you know, you should be happy with where that failure led you, you know? Yeah. I'm really grateful for that, you know? where I'm at right now. It's not anywhere near where I thought I was going to be, but I'm here and I'm just trying to embrace it. You know, I'm healthier in some ways because of that and feel more comfortable professionally because of that. But then on the other end, you know, the other, the, the personal stuff has, has definitely suffered. Um, and, uh, so it's, you know, it's a balancing act. Um, we talk about using work, as a way to get you through those sort of those moments of depression and f just put your head down and, and do the work, hoping that eventually it'll get easier. And, um, it, it, it does work to some extent, but at the same time, the rest of your life is suffering. And because of that, you know, you, you lose a, a lot in your personal life and, and in, in your health, you know what I mean? Like not eating properly, not getting inspiration to continue working, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, you know, it's, it, and it's not really something that I deeply thought about this year until I talked to 
chef Andrew Clark and he has some really uh, great perspective on it, you know? So it definitely uh, got me thinking about a lot of that stuff and sort of, sort of spent the last, the end of last year, a little bit lost after <laughs> that trip through Asia, you know, what they call it, like reverse um, cultural shock. Like I came back and I just was kind of in a daze. It's so hard to explain in a, in a, in like almost like jet lag for like a month or two feeling like really out of it and, and kind of lost, not sure where to go. And, uh, and podcasting again, really, you know, talking to these people and not podcasting. I don't really give a fuck about podcasting. It's talking to these people and getting these sort of conversations out to people who actually appreciate it and want to hear someone like myself who, who needs to hear this kind of stuff is really, as we talk about in this podcast, doing the work, you know, as Andrew says, like, you know, what are your pillars? And I think in my case, uh, this definitely is, man, if I don't do this, these interviews, I start to get a little lost. I get antsy. I start to feel like a piece of shit again, you know? Uh, but man, the second I start doing it, I feel better. I, I feel more fulfilled. I feel there's some sort of direction, even though I don't really care what the direction is or the, or where it's going, or even if it is going somewhere, it just sort of, it just is, you know? Yeah. Um, as Andrew says, like letting other people inspire you and that way it's, it's all sort of off your shoulders, you know, it's, you're not, you're not driving the boat. It's just letting it happen to you. And I feel like that's what these podcasts are. You know, I'm just talking to people and it's great to hear other people's stories. And it really feels like it relieves a lot of the pressure that I put on myself to perform, to do better, to, you know, to create all this kind of stuff and, uh, and not having to do that stuff alone really feels great. And that's the whole reason I just do this podcast. I think uh, amongst other reasons, I don't know. I feel like I'm fucking babbling, but anyway, I'll say, uh, yeah, this was definitely a podcast that didn't know I needed and that, uh, I didn't know I wanted to start the year off with, but I hope it does the same thing for you as it did for me. Um, Chef Andrew Clark, for as heavy as the topics that we talk about, for as heavy as his work is, his mental work, he's a really lighthearted guy, you know? And and I hope you really enjoy this conversation. And uh, I hope you, you know, get as much out of it as I did. Anyway, um, so uh, as I said at the beginning, Chef Andrew Clark is... Uh, the chef and one of the owners of Acme Fire Cult in London, and also a really inspiring chef in the in the field, who's bridging the the gap between self help and and cooking and being a badass chef, as well as you know a podcaster. Uh, like I said, his podcast Skull Sessions can be found everywhere. I don't know what else to say. I uh, got some new merch up. Uh, instantly go from a deep conversation to plug in some merch you can buy um fuck it uh you can you can get some new merch at the store uh pimagazine.com slash store it's also in the description below uh hope you're doing well hope you got a good year ahead i got some big things coming up and hopefully some big episodes stay tuned i appreciate your patience i appreciate you listening and I hope you enjoy this interview with Chef Andrew Clark. Later. 
thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. No, no, absolute pleasure, of course. So how's the new year treating you so far? Um, slow, which is nice. I mean, you know, yeah, hospitality. It's pretty mad during December. Yeah. yeah. And um, normally I take January off. I haven't this year, but normally I would go and mm-hmm. sit on a beach in India in Goa. Ooh. And nice. come back in February when it starts to, you know, the nights are getting lighter again. This year I haven't. Uh, this year I, I, I said I'd be around for family uh, a little bit more. And I've kept myself busy. I mean, you know, while it's a slow start, I think it's it's also about, you know, sowing all the seeds that you hope will bloom later on in the year. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, of course. I've got a few Having events coming up, which is good as well, so that through this month. Yeah. So it's interesting because, you know, my, my restaurant, um, the majority of it is outdoors. So, you know, England, London, it's cold and damp. And uh, if I want people to come on like <laughs> not gonna, Tuesday yeah. night <laughs> to walk down the yeah. back streets of East London to get to, you know, this car park where we've set up shop, uh-huh. you know, it, it, I guess it's a time of year that concerns me the most, January and February. Mm-hmm. Once we're out the other yeah. side of that, you know, mid-March, then, uh, you know, we don't have any problems, really. Um, and the place is mobbed in the summer. Oh, that's great. But it's just these two months that are kind of critical. So um, I'm just trying yeah. to, yeah, so, like I say, sow some good seeds uh, and, and see what comes uh-huh. about. Yeah. So is it is it outside, like, or do you close during the, the um, January months or you you stay open uh-huh. and kind of brave the weather? All year round. Um, oh, damn. Okay. And that's, the, you know, that's the thing. Is that, that, because most of the restaurant is outside, we can't lose 60% of business during the winter months. So yeah. we have to cozy it up, you know, lots of sheepskin, <laughs> blankets. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just do some really kind of comforting food during that time. And, it, yeah. you know, it's good. A, a quiet night for us is still 100 covers. So that's not bad, really. Oh, that's, that's great. No, that's really good. Yeah. yeah. That's great. So how long ago did you get into food industry? Do you remember your first job in, oh, yeah. in the food industry? Um, well, I um, it's about 25 years ago now. I was uh, a musician. I still am. Um, but I was. A what do you play? Uh, lots of instruments, mostly guitar. Okay. I've been playing guitar for 30-odd years. Um, okay. But I play harmonium, which is uh, a little kind of pump organ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I play that. I play various percussion instruments, drums, um, but mostly guitar. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So look, I, I wanted to be, I, I, I always thought I was going to travel the world, touring with my band, being a you know rock star or whatever. Yeah. And um, a sudden turn of events happened, whereas uh, I found myself in a kitchen. And uh, wait, wait, what was this? What was this sudden turn of events? Was you just you just needed a job, or <laughs> no? I was looking at life in prison. <laughs> oh, geez, you know, just, okay, just a standard, you know. Uh, <laughs> 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 Shit, okay. Um, yeah, so oh life in prison, and um, luckily, you know, I was found not guilty mm. on both charges, but. Um, I had to go into a kitchen to pay for my music. I um, uh, I had to pay for my kind of legal costs and bits and pieces, yeah. kind of. Uh, but I, I had to jump into a kitchen. I had to earn some money after that court case. And, yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. How old I were you? 
Sorry, how old? How old were you? Yeah. 20. 20, okay. 46 now. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah, it was a strange one. I um, I thought I'd, I kind of failed all my exams thinking I was going to be this rock star. And then, but one of the things I was always good at as a kid was cooking. You know, I, I have a very big appetite. I loved cooking. Um, mm-hmm. And I figured if I don't have any qualifications to get a regular job like everyone else, let's see if a kitchen yeah. will me up. And they did. But it's definitely not a place. If you've got dreams or aspirations to do anything else, as I did with <laughs> music, it's definitely yeah. not a place to go because it's just so consuming. And um, and there I was. Uh, did you start somewhere specific, uh, like like on the bottom or did you start cooking right away? Like, Did you start with dishes or anything like that? No, I worked. It was a pizza restaurant. Um, oh, so you went straight so to cooking, straight into service. Um, I mean, it was basic. Uh, I, I worked the pizza ovens. I, you know, made sure things didn't burn. I spun some pizzas. Uh, I put tomato <laughs> sauce on it. You know, it was. Um, yeah, it was basic, but it was fast paced, big volume. I think the first few days, I had nightmares about the fucking ticket machine. Yeah, just of course. Spewing yeah. out tickets and not being able to keep up and drowning in them, you know. Um, yeah. It's classic. That's the classic yeah. dream. Yeah. So that was there. Yeah, that took a little while to um, settle in. I really, to cut a long like story it? short in that sense, is that I, yeah. um, I quickly realized that even though I didn't want to be a chef, I, I was better than that job. So I went to another pizza restaurant, which. Things were a more handmade there, and it had a wood-fired oven this time. Okay. And I was there for a few more months, and I thought, look, I don't want to be a chef, but I'm better than this. So I, <laughs> I, you know, I kept doing that for about a year, jumping around places um, until I bec- – All pizza places? No, it's two pizza places. There was a, a fine dining place, very, very French. I think it took about probably – I was bouncing around for about a year, 18 months. Until I found a place that, you know, everything was made on site. There was butchery, fish butchery. Um, We'd go to the markets every week. You know, there was a real understanding of the provenance of ingredients. The ingredients were amazing. And all the chefs I was working with just had, you know, such great training. You know, some of them were ex-Marco Pia White. And I found myself learning, you know. I wasn't kind of, you know learning all the sections and then just treading water. It was like yeah. every day there was something new to learn. Yeah. And that was it. That was the place that really captivated me. Uh, I stayed there six years and I think it was only about three or four years into that. I was running it and realized that I'm not going to be a musician anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what, what place was that? It was called the Swan in West Mauling. Um, uh-huh. Still going, but a very, very different model now. It's, um, a very decent restaurant in Kent, um, in the southeast of England. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, back back then, I, I I kind of I kind of pushed my boss to listen to me uh, when I took over as head chef, or you know, quite a even when I was like sous chef, but really wanting to take that head chef title. I I thought mm-hmm. the food we had been doing was Spanish, Italian, and we was in this beautiful old 16th century coaching in in a quintessential little, you know, British town, small town. Mm. And um, the, the British food was having a bit of a comeback. Um, you had St. John, which was, you know, 
Yeah, a powerful oh, love St. John. Restaurant, yeah. um, you know, lots of yeah. uh, influence going on. But, you know, they'd only only been open, I don't know, five or ten years at the time. So I was hugely influenced by them. And there was a bunch of other places popping up. So I just kind of convinced my boss that really we should be a British restaurant and be, you know, at the, at the forefront of that movement. So we were. And, it, you know, it was great learning for myself, pushing myself to do food that, or, you know, dig out old recipes that hadn't really seen the light of day since before the Second World War. Um, And also, you know, having a lot of fields uh, and farms and places to grow and forage and, and there were hunts so we could shoot stuff. So, it wasn't that we were putting pressure on ourselves to try and do things, uh, you know, grow within a certain radius. It was just more that there was such a bounty around us. We didn't really need to go up to the market anymore or go further than, you know, oh, a couple that's of amazing. miles. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> well, what catches my eye about that is that you said within the span of about four years, if if I heard you right, you yeah. were you went from working as a pizza cook to being the chef of this restaurant like do you remember at what point you you decided like oh i don't think i'm going to be a musician anymore or yeah. at what point it, co- it kind of took over i think it was it, definitely the swan i was i know i was there six years um probably do you remember what, what was it about about it that kind of like captivated you or sort of took over what captivated me it was it was produce oh really yeah I was used to being busy, even if it was a pizza restaurant, even if it was the fine dining restaurant. I was I was used to being busy. Uh, I liked long prep lists and hard work. I was never phased by that. I learned from other people's mistakes very quickly, so I wasn't. Yeah, that's I wasn't that's a great as a, myself, as a cook, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but produce was the single thing. Yeah, I. I I thought I knew it all arrogantly when I was a kid, you know, when it came to food, you know, I grew up with food very close to us as a family. My dad designed restaurants. So, you know, I thought food a little bit more than most people. Do you know what I mean? And yet I was challenged with try this new ingredient and have that. And, you know, if I had mozzarella in the past, then I had some buffalo mozzarella and it changed my life. And, you know, so it was definitely the ingredient and not having the, the previous jobs where you ring up a fish supplier and you get salmon portions. No, this time I had to yeah. get, go up to the market, get the salmon, then start butchering it and, and get it all set for the for the chefs for their service. And, you know, it just yeah. brought me closer to the produce, closer to the suppliers and, you know, the markets. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've taken that, I mean, to a more extreme level now, but, you know, that's been the single factor of you know how i've shaped my career i think is being very you know, produce led and you know i i spend a lot of time sourcing the right ingredients to go on the plate well, that's that's insane <laughs> i can't imagine like three or four years it's it's, it's taken me so long to to even get to where i am and, and <laughs> it, it, the fact that you did that in four years is, is in, incredible i think i'm you know, it's, it's probably if we think about the first year 18 months of just jumping around and then yeah the swan i was there three years from cdp to sous chef and then yeah probably the last two years i, I didn't stay long as a sous chef i went straight into head chef so yeah i think but five years i was sous chef and thinking shit yeah i'm definitely not a uh, um, a musician anymore <laughs> <laughs> did you feel bad about that in some way i remember when i was like uh when i was young and i sort of i thought i was going to be a skateboarder and then all of a sudden you know your your life takes this weird change and you're like oh wait i'm not i'm not doing that anymore did you feel 
some regret about that or you just kind of let it happen? No, no, a lot. I, it's kind of, it had been the, I'd had mental health issues through my career, which was, you know, depression really. Um, same. And I struggled with addiction with drink and cocaine. And so I linked it all back to just not being happy with my, my, where my life was and how it turned out. It took me a long time and plenty of ayahuasca journeys to uh, kind of make <laughs> peace with my <laughs> to make peace with my past. Because you know, cooking has been very fair to me. It's given me a lot, and I just masked the pain that I was going through with alcohol and uh, and drugs. And um, I never, I was never really grateful for being a chef. I just, I, I don't know what it was. It was, uh, you know, I was never comfortable with being a chef. I was good at what I did and, you know, I'd like to think I am still, but I do have this thing now when as soon as my apron's off, that's it. I go and do other things and I, you know, I almost compartmentalize my life. So I've got the Mm. chef, Andrew Clark. I do a lot of medicine work. So I do, and that's where I do a lot of my music. So I've got the musician, Andrew Clark and, you know, a couple of other things, but it, it affected me for a long time. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Depression was hard and it was a tough one to get through. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's, uh, something I've also come to recently, like being grateful, I sort of like, um, felt very slighted by the fact that I was cooking and I had to go in this direction and I wasn't doing the art that I wanted to do and stuff. But the second, you're just grateful for having a job that you enjoy when a lot of people don't enjoy their jobs and, and you get to create things and work with great produce and things like that. I mean, the second you start being grateful for that, it, it, it all changes. I feel. It really does. I completely. Yeah. And you, you know, I just probably didn't understand it at the time. I was angry. I was pissed off. I'm, yeah. You know, this life changing <laughs> event of yeah. basically someone attacking me and oh, them no. coming off okay. bad. You know, I was angry with this fucking guy for attacking me. You know, how dare you? Because that stopped me. It, it, it threw a spanner in the works for a long time. It, you know, I wasn't uh, I wasn't inspired to pick up the guitar. It sat in my in one of my cases for like six months. And that's kind of the, the period where I was, you know, jumping into a kitchen. So, But I had yeah. to make peace with all that. And as soon as I did, you know, I, I enjoyed my work again. It's funny because even right up to the pandemic, I was still, you know... Uh, indifferent about opening another restaurant i was just like you know i'd got out my previous ones just before the world shut down and then when that all happened i was just like you know what i I don't want to jump back into a kitchen i'm not gonna open a restaurant i can be a consultant for other people but i'm definitely not doing this again and you know some funny things happened that you know firstly i went on my own kind of medicine journey and that's when i started working with kind of spiritual communities and you know medicine communities and doing my own inner work but at the same time, I was also, you know, like most people, locked down for ages and desperate to cook again because, you know, I've, I've kind of made my name for myself cooking over fire. Yet being locked yeah. down for three months in a flat, I had no outlet for that. <laughs> no, wait. So, yeah. Um, yeah, of course. So, you know, so when when the world started opening up again, there was a car park opposite where I lived, and I just got a load of frames and barbecues and things out of storage, set it all up there, and um, that's how my current restaurant, Acme Fire Cult, was born. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, <laughs> just a, just a need, a need like an outlet for just it, for yeah, cooking yeah. and fire. Yeah, that's, and we that's, we- that's probably the best way to do it. It really was. And, 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 you know, I fell in love with my craft again because I brought my head chef in. Well, we, the pair of us were doing it, but just using our names. He had a kind of full-time job working for uh, the guy who's 
land it was that we were doing it in. So he was there on the day to day. I was doing a little bit of consultancy. And then I'd get down on in the evenings or on the weekends and I wouldn't plate up. I wouldn't do any of the prep. I would just get straight on the grill and I would cook. <laughs> and that was it oh, because I didn't have all the other stuff that's kind of wearing me out. The fact that I could just jump back on and cook. I was in my comfort zone. I was in my, well, more than that. I was just in, I just felt like a pig in shit. I was happy <laughs> again, my happy place, you know? Yeah. There's so, something about yeah. cooking over fire that's, in, in, it's like, it's uh, it's very primal, but it's like, um, it's very zen. You can really get into a zone of like just you and the fire and the and the the meat and the produce that you're working with. It's uh, it's incredible. I love it. It's, it's yeah. great. Like I said, you know, I, I've kind of, I've built my career around cooking over fire, but it is exactly what you said. It's just getting into that zone. It's, you know, it's, uh, I try and teach that to people. And I, I don't know if I always make sense to people, but, you know, you can cook. People can cook over fire, you know. If you've got a bit of a clue about cooking, do you know what I mean? You, you know, you're not going to yeah. put things too close to a heat source. Or you can move things around. Chefs are always fiddling about. So, you know, I, I can have people on our grills at work and they kind of get it. But what I try and teach people is just kind of meditate with the coals on the fire. Just take a minute to just block out anything else, connect with it. And yeah. when you do, when you become that fire and you understand it like that, then things become so much more instinctive. You tune into it so much better. Um, and, you know, you'll know when to put fuel on the fire. You'll know when to move things around. And, you know, when things are done just by looking at them. I, I, I love it. I, I just feel so, I mean, it's part of my spiritual journey anyway. But, you know, being so connected to the fire and the thinking of service more as a meditation than actual work is fantastic. Yeah, that's a good perspective. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Instead of feeling like a stressed or worried about it as like a, something that's looming over you, that's a that's a pretty yeah. good perspective to. It's change. an experience, actually. I mean, that's maybe a way of looking at it. It's, you know, you're not you're not yeah. working. You're just experiencing this, like you know, time with the fire, and then yeah, you're exhausted when it's finished. Yeah. But like you know, it's just it's that tuning in and connecting. It's it's amazing. Now let me ask you. Uh, you mentioned. You mentioned you were addicted to drugs like cocaine and, and, and alcohol. I've always been curious about, was that a, something that was going on in those kitchens, in those high-end kitchens in, in England? Or was that just something that was individual to you? Because from you know what I know about the, the you know, experience in those high-end kitchens, it looks insanely stressful. So I can only imagine that somebody yeah. needed you know, something to release or, or just keep yourself going. Do you know... Um... I was probably doing cocaine before I even jumped in a kitchen, if I'm totally honest. Oh, really? It's very popular in the UK. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I don't know many people that haven't done it. It's like, you know, you go to a pub, someone's got some. It's, it, it, it's just for everywhere, me, huh? it's everywhere. And the wow. accessibility of it all is even more so through restaurants. I would do services and, you know, you have a bad service, you commiserate, you go to the bar. If you have a good service, you celebrate, you go to the bar. And it's yeah. about <laughs> led to the bar. And as soon as you're there, you know, you, you have a beer, you have a shot, and then, you know, someone brings a bag out. Um, it was a, a way of feeling good. And, and like I said earlier on, probably masking the pain of, you know, not doing the music. It was deep down. It wasn't. It wasn't something so obvious to me that that's what was happening and you know I didn't understand why I had the, I was in this addictive cycle I guess I 
you know, it was my way of kind of enjoying what I was doing as a chef. And, you know, yeah, if I had a great service, then that was it. Let's go out and take the troops out and, you know, blow yeah. off some steam. Yeah. And then the other way as well, right? <laughs> it's a terrible exactly. service. Let's go yeah. off some steam. Fortunately, it didn't happen too often, but at the same time, it, it, yeah. it happened enough that, yeah, you'd have to um, console yourself in some way. Yeah. So you said you didn't get completely clean until uh, the pandemic. Is that what you said? Yeah. Or how did um, that end up resolving itself? So back in 2015, um, towards the end, that's when depression kind of really hit me hard. And, it, you know, at the time it was suicidal depression. I Did you find that, was that uh, affecting your work in restaurants? No, I think working in a restaurant at that time, I'd just taken over... I'd, I'd partnered up with a friend who had a, his existing restaurant, uh, a chef called Jackson Boxer, um, who's you know one of my best pals uh, at the time, and we we had been talking about me joining his restaurant as a director, as a partner for a while, and we'd signed an agreement to do that just before things you know took a turn for the worst for me, and. I guess the beneficial about this is that I had some responsibility. I, you know, as long as I could get myself to work. And while I was there, yeah. I had my business partner and a sous chef. So there was three of us working. As long as I was there, I was distracted. It's when I was at yeah. home and, uh, you know, things were, things were racing around my head. You know, you get in your head about stuff and oh, yeah. um, that's when the problems were there. So, you know, my solution was to work all the time. And, you know, I was doing 100 plus hours a week. I was, you know, hardly eating anything, dropping weight really rapidly. But the interesting yeah. thing was, we started getting some big UK critics coming through the door when we'd made the announcement that I'd joined up. So, um, you know, Jay Rayner was the first, I think, to come through, Faye Mashler, uh, A.A. Gill. You know, we had in, you know, just a couple of weeks, some of the biggest or the, the biggest critics, and all of them gave, you know, very, very positive reviews. So it was that little thing that just kind of each week something came out. It was another little boost for me, to, and it got me out of the weeds. <laughs> oh, um, nice. Yeah. That's you know great. I, and, and again, that was another point where I kind of fell back in love with my craft again, because really it was just me and my sous chef and then my business partner, the three of us, just cooking, cooking what we wanted to cook, cooking food we'd like to eat ourselves not taking it too seriously but just you know doing it for the love and for the fun of it and um it, while it took a while for that to really clear i mean you know years i definitely got myself in a better place through 2016 so roll on uh to the pandemic i'd kind of shaped my life up in various ways i'd you know got more into plant medicines of different kinds but ayahuasca had always been this one that I thought that's where I really want to I want to try this I've been smoking DMT I knew a lot about ayahuasca I always thought you had to go to the jungle to do it and um, yeah. it was while we were locked down a friend of mine said I know someone serving medicine you know just down in Essex should we go so we jumped yeah. in my car and snuck out, um, out of the lockdown and um, ended up on a farm down in deepest Essex and, uh, yeah, I had my first glass of medicine and that was it. That was the kind of the start of my new life, really. That experience like changed everything for you? Kind of opened well, you up? Believable. In one night, I, um, I stopped drinking. I stopped uh, any, I, all the, 
all the dark energy that had been trapped in me for 20 odd years just came out. I had no cravings for alcohol or cocaine. I can be around people drinking. In fact, I, you know, I can have a glass of wine or a beer or even a, you know, a whiskey or something. And one, I won't drink it all, but I don't have this kind of, um, right. That's it. I'm, (laughs) I'm digging in for the night now, uh, or any desire to just get cocaine which was always the thing i'd have a a drink and then i'd want drugs i don't have any you know unlike being in aa for the rest of my life it's just rewired something in my dna you know it's changed my relationship to alcohol and i just choose not to drink i can be around people doing it i can be around people doing drugs i just have no desire to do that myself um so i it it, it released me from that Hmm. that's that's really interesting it's funny that most people consider it drugs, but it's not really a drug. But it's funny that uh, that drugs is the thing that saved you from drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I like to say that there's there's high frequency drugs and there's low frequency drugs. Um, that's, yeah, that's cool. every, it, 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 even coffee's a drug, isn't it? Really, um, caffeine. Uh, but yes, yeah, psychedelics have been an integral part of my uh, recovery in various ways i've been doing you know microdosing mushrooms macrodosing mushrooms for well since i you know came down pretty hard with depression uh but yeah ayahuasca was the one that just changed everything for me um and now you know i'm very fortunate that i support with music i hold ceremonies with other people um you know at least a couple of months and um you know I, it's i guess it's a a privilege that i've been blessed to be able to use music to help people heal and be part of you know serving the medicine so other people can receive what i've received yeah that's that's awesome yeah uh do you find yourself noticing the same sort of um signs that you saw in yourself in other cooks or younger cooks or something like that? Yeah. One or two, you know, instantly spring to mind. I think that, you know, people are very different uh, and generations are so different. I mean, you know, one of the things oh, my yeah. business partner and I talk about is how our very lovely team are just so much different. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. I, you know, throughout my career, there's always been, you know, a handful of people where I can see, the person that I was in them uh, and maybe you, you gravitate towards them in some way or you, maybe I open myself up a bit more for those people I try and be as open as possible for everyone um, but there is just this kind of natural gravitational pull for you know for certain people and you, you just want to make sure that you're not projecting onto them but at the same time just yeah offering little bits of advice and whether they want to take it or not, because mm-hmm. I also understand that, you know, we all, we've all got to make our own mistakes. We've all got to go on our own journeys. That is part of life yeah, as well. For sure. But, um, you know, if they want my advice, then I'm, I'm always around to offer a, a few nuggets uh, of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wisdom if I can. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really it. More, more so that I, you know, I think sometimes just telling them the things that I'd love people to be as good as me, you know, when it comes to cooking on fire. And it's just like just mentoring people and saying, look, you should try it like this. You should try it. Like I said earlier on about the meditation with the yeah. fire, just those little bits and pieces. I wouldn't ordinarily just say that to everyone, but, you know, I'll try yeah. and 
just try and tell them a few little bits that they might say, ah, I didn't think that way. There's 25 <laughs> like, years yeah. of like thinking like that. So <laughs> <I have> that <one. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something that also like struck me was that you said like, uh, what you got you out of the weeds was just working and focusing on the work, which I think also helped me as well, but also, you know, kind of ruined a lot of things. Did you find that like for me, I was working a ton to get past this this uh depression and and feeling uh worthless and things like that. But then at work that would disappear. Mm. But then uh like you said, you're distracting yourself. Do you feel like I don't really know what my question is actually? <laughs> I just I just really related to that. Um yeah, no, I, I don't, uh, it's but definitely something that's I, uh, it's good and bad to it, is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like when people you know, ordinarily well, people go down a certain route of uh, getting rid of addictions and then they find themselves, I don't know, addicted to being at the gym or running or doing something. You you have yeah. to replace it. And as long as you're replacing these things with good things, things that are beneficial to you, then I don't think there's any real harm in the addiction still being there in that sense. You know, just it's directing yeah. your energy to something else. Um, yeah, as, I, I remember it very clearly. It's just actually being at work then it absorbed me because I had a responsibility. And there is a voice at the back of your head that says, just keep going, keep going, keep doing this. Yeah. And as long as you that, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. There was that, that, but I, I put loads of quotes up, whether they were on my phone or on, on my wall. I put positive words around my flat. So I would draw my mind into positive language straight away rather than, you know, <laughs> London in the winter, it's it's tough. It's you know it's grey skies, it's wet, it's damp. But you know if I could just put some little nuggets uh, or little quotes or things around that you know would inspire me, then that was another you know, little bit to kind of boost me a bit. So the, with the Winston Churchill quote was, "When you're going through hell, keep going." And you know that kind of resonated with me. I, I knew I was going through hell. I knew. If I could get through it, it's, you know, these things aren't going to last forever. But where I yeah. just, I was also, and that's the thing about depression is you don't really know where you want to be or anything. You just, it's just a real difficult place to function in any way. Yeah. It's really heavy. It really is. Yeah. So yeah. you don't, you don't want to do anything good for yourself. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I guess it's mad. It's, it's, but as long as I'm getting up for other people, then that in turn will keep me busy, stop me getting in my own head. And as time starts helping and other things are, you know, coming into your life to start helping, you're supported yeah. and you'll get through that. But you have to just be on kind of autopilot to, to just yeah. get through it, really. Yeah. There's also, there's also something that you mentioned earlier, which is that there's a benefit to working in kitchens, which is that you have a responsibility mm -hmm. to other people. So if you can't get out of bed for yourself, then you can get out of bed for other people because you have you have work to do for them. You know what I mean? You put you sort of put the responsibility on other people for a little bit, and you say like, "I'll I'll do it for them," because <laughs> I can't do it for myself. But then eventually, hopefully, you'll get to the point where you're doing it for yourself. As you said, you're doing the work for yourself now. So it's true. Yeah, I, I think there is that thing where you know we we do tend to want to look after other people or be show up for other people and be there for other people but we're not always good at looking after ourselves and um yeah. Especially <laughs> you know, cooks. We, and particularly in the service industry i mean fucking hell yeah. chefs we put beautiful food on the plate and then we go home and eat some shit you know like, <laughs> or don't eat at all 
Oh, don't eat at all. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. it, it's a <laughs> it's a strange thing we do, but um, I, I I always feel. I mean, it's, I, I've done a load of. Um, I set up a, a a campaign for hospitality straight after I started talking openly about what I'd gone through at the end of 2016, and um, it was called Pilot Light. So it was a campaign really to just raise awareness in hospitality around mental health and. It was the first of its kind, really, because there was no one when we were up looking around for that support, there was no one doing it. So we realized that we had to do that. And now, luckily, there's a lot of places doing it in the UK, um, some initiatives, charities, lots and lots of things. So we we achieved what we set out to do. But I still do talks. And, you know, again, through the medicine work, there is this thing where if we can build these foundations when we're in a good space when we're clear-headed when everything's going well bring things into our life but if we hit crisis point again and you know we only need the death of a loved one or a relationship breakup or you know that we life is full of ups and downs but it's just making sure we put all these things in place that when we're down we can get up pretty quickly you know like i said when when you have depression when you're in that space you don't want to do anything. <laughs> so it's better yeah. that you don't do anything. You're just supported in other ways. Mm-hmm. And what does that involve? Those 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 uh, safety nets, I, I guess. You're well, do you know what? I, I have my thing that I've been talking about called my 12 pillars. And um, I encourage people to build their own pillars. But it's if I have 12, then I need six of them in my life at any one time. That, that's generally what it is. And... Maybe sometimes I'll move a few of them around. I always come back to this uh, each year. I, I, you know, I review what's what's good for me and what's not. But um, to roll a few off: meditation, nature. Need to be in nature. Going for walks in nature. Uh, exercise. Good food. Don't drink. Uh, don't read the news. <laughs> yeah. Don't read the news. It's terrible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, one of the ones I've, I've recently put in there, which I really like, I just don't get to do it enough, is kind of ice baths. Uh, what else? I mean, obviously, friends, community. Uh, there's, oh. there's there's a lot. And a lot of them are quite, really, it's um, common sense. You know, there are things that we are as human beings. We need these. We need these connections. Yeah. Um, Vitamin D or being in the sun is a big one, and we don't get enough of that, particularly if we're working in basement kitchens. Um, Yeah. So, you know, they they are important. They're important to us as human beings. And if we're disconnected from that, yeah, shit, we're going to feel bad as well. So I guess I've been able to line up my kind of my medicine work and what I do with that with, you know, uh, being able to offer it as a little bit of advice for anyone that's interested. But, you know, if anyone asks me how they're going to get through or get some longevity out of being a chef, then I think sometimes, yeah, just change change the way you work, change the way you look after yourself outside of work. Yeah, well, that well, that pretty much answers what my next question was, which is like, uh, yeah, how do you keep doing the work? You know, and yeah. you pretty much just answered it. Yeah, all those little things. <laughs> it's that, it yeah. is that. It's it's but you know you have you have to still be inspired as well. You know, keep 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 reading, keep looking at things, keep eating mm-hmm. out. Let other people inspire you, and then you know you'll want to continue as well. I, one one of the things I discovered in lockdown, and I wish I'd have done that um, way earlier on in my career, was yoga. And um, oh, yoga is great. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. But you know, I, I discovered it in the first lockdown, and um, I was like, "Fuck!" 
I, you know, I've always been fit and I've always looked after myself through martial arts, but it's not really, um, it's not really what uh, yoga is. And I could have done that way earlier on, but you know what? I don't look at my career and, you know, my past, even the tough stuff I've gone through. I, I, um, I'm grateful for everything because it's made me who I am today. And I don't think I'd be that person if I'd have just been completely holistic at the start of it. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It all, it all helped build you who you are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yoga, yoga, if anything, it's, is great for chefs because we don't stretch enough. We don't move enough. We don't really do much of anything aside from like moving from one, you know, station to the other. Yeah. And if you can start stretching as early as possible, you'll be better for it as a chef or, a, you know, anybody in restaurants. It's, it's Completely. paramount. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. You know, just if if you learn a few kind of key exercises that you can do throughout the day, and even just a couple of yogic breathing techniques as well, you know, that saves people a lot. We we, we breathe up in our the top of our lungs a lot. You know, short, fast breaths instead of you know deep breaths and getting things in. We'd be much calmer. We'd be way more focused. Um, I'd see less people running off the line, jumping <laughs> <and laughs> into their cars and going home in service. Um, yeah, it's just there's so much you can learn from kind of yoga and, and not just the stretching. But I think, um, I, yeah, I do wish I had discovered it earlier, um, but I'm glad I, I have it in my life now. So uh, could you tell me a little bit more about the uh, restaurant you're working on or you're, you're working in now and sort of you yeah. said how a little bit how it came about, but uh, kind of what are you guys what are you guys doing there? And well, um, I, I guess going what back makes to it different than other about. restaurants, I guess, because you said you weren't going to go into a restaurant. What makes it this one different than, say, another restaurant that you felt you couldn't you didn't want to be a part of? Um, how is it different? Look, I, I think there's a few angles on it. I'd, I'd obviously been doing all the medicine work. I'd been you know, thinking deeply about what I do next. And um, I had a little epiphany in one of my <laughs> journeys where it was just like, look, trust the plants. And wanted to do the live fire concept, but not be labeled as like barbecue. You know, we're not doing any kind of oh, dude yeah. food. We have meat, <laughs> but we have fish. But we don't, you know, we're not smoking too much stuff. It's, it's more like a Mediterranean grill than it is like a, you know, US smokehouse of some kind. Um, yeah. And there were some great barbecue places in the UK and in London, but we're not that. And I just wanted to show how versatile cooking over fire can be. So um, we led with vegetables. That was the that was the main thing. As fifty percent used to be seventy percent, but that fifty percent of the menu is completely plant based. And yeah. while uh, there was a period where I was definitely known for cooking meat over fire. And I wanted to just step away from that a little bit and just show how versatile vegetables can be, you know. They have a greater um, textural range than any protein. They have a greater flavor pro profile than, you know, any protein. So, but mm. they don't, they're not as unctuous, they're not as delicious. And I just wanted to see what we could do with vegetables to try and take, get them as tasty as, as meat could be, but while using the fire the coals, you know, uh, cold smoking, hot smoking, embers, you know, just playing around with all the different contraptions and things we've got and um, taking each vegetable under its own merit, trying to get the best out of it. So that's what it is. That's, yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know that um, 
that London had such great produce, but I guess it must if it has such such amazing restaurants. Yeah, I mean, look, there's, I know, I know, um, I know everyone else's opinion of like British food and you know where we sit within the world, but um, there is great stuff, and there has has always been great stuff. We've got some great chefs in the UK, and you know. People yeah, like Gordon Ramsay is, you know, one of the best in the world. Our, our farming, while it's come under attack uh, with things like foot and mouth, but 20 years ago or mad cow, you know, these are all bad farming practices. This is all part of the, uh, the industrialised, you know, farming complex. And yet, you know, if we support regenerative farms, if we look to kind of little day boats that are around the south coast or, you know, in the North Sea, you know, getting fish hook and line or in small nets. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If we start supporting uh, organically grown heirloom variety vegetables, you know, small producers, then we find that yeah. the produce is amazing. It's just when we start going to, to supermarkets or we start getting big bulk stuff that's come from a farm that just, you know, produces tons and tons of mediocre produce. Like that's the problem. And that ends up in a lot of yeah. restaurants and therefore people say, well, this tastes like shit. Yeah, no, fucking, <laughs> yeah. Things it does. Um, yeah. and that was for us, you know, we are ingredient led. We, we, you know, we source hard, we support the, the food chain of where things come from. Yeah. If you, if you do that, you're going to find great produce. And then when you've got great produce, you don't really have to do too much to it. It's so easy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, so where do you guys see yourself going? Where do you see this new year for you guys and yourself personally? We did a lot of events outside events last year. And I, th- I, I, was, I still think it's a good angle for us to do. Um, instead of restaurant number two, maybe we just lean into events more. So we've got, the, we've got HQ. <laughs> but we can take it on the road. So we'll be doing a few events, but I also, it kind of broke us a bit last year because it was just <laughs> so busy. So maybe not as many events, but uh, quality rather than quantity. Um, yeah, and we've got a couple of little brands that we, we're keen to launch in a much smaller kind of space than what we're currently in and just see what works with that. But I think I'm not trying to put too much ahead. Say yes to a few uh collaborative events i've got you know uh, a handful of festivals that we'll be doing but i'm also just like maybe i'll leave it there or maybe we'll just wait for things to come along and not really push too hard on it because yeah the thing about our restaurant as well it's a beast it's such a busy busy space that i also feel that maybe when we were busy doing the events last year we were kind of overlooking a, a, a few bits and pieces in the restaurant so I don't want to step away too far from it at the moment until I know it's in a really good space. Well, I, actually, let's circle back a little because I I don't remember if you quite answered uh, what makes this different. I, oh, it's, makes I guess it? mentally from from another restaurant because it sounds like an insanely busy restaurant and it's keeping you very yeah. busy. But um, why this concept in this restaurant instead of say another one? Well, look, I'll re- reiterate on the thing. We we're a live fire restaurant that is veg forward that's you know that's the the starting point of it uh, what's different why would i do why have i done this like we're, we're completely mentally self-funded. i guess from oh okay that's yeah that's we're good. completely self-funded as well so we inherited an old wine bar that had quite a big outdoor area and i you know we kind of 
we borrowed a little bit of money from our business partners, which is like, you know, 30K, hardly anything. That's, and that was just enough to buy a new grill, yeah. <laughs> get yeah. some new flooring put down. And um, because it's a joint venture with um, a, another friend of mine uh, who has a brewery, it was him that put us onto it. And he just happened to have a little bit of um, uh, of a loan, a bounce back loan left over. So, you know, we... Um, we used that money to get a new floor laid, get some crockery, get some uh, a new grill, but that it didn't go far, and that was it. Then we had to just start trading, and as we, you know, as we started getting busier, as we made some money, we started, you know, getting new things like new tables, new chairs, um, and you know, it's it's almost complete. But it'll be two years in April since we launched. So it's like a nice slow journey. It's I don't have those worries that I would have had pre-pandemic, uh, you know, about paying a, an investor okay. back or the bank. We um, oh, okay. so that's a big, that's a really big difference, and that's probably the only reason I've done this. Or you know, personally, is that yeah. you know it, we are self-funded in that sense. Um, You're working for yourself as opposed to some investor who's looking for completely you know, cross profit and things. Yeah, that is, that is a huge change. Yeah, and it's just yeah. not. I think it was really exciting having people on that journey, telling people very honestly, which, you know, we, we're not good at being honest. Um, they're always trying to put out better PR so no one looks like, <laughs> so no, <laughs> no one looks like they're in trouble or anything. It's just like, we were just like, look, it, this is it. <laughs> Even though, you know, yeah. both Dan and I uh, as chefs, we've made names for ourselves in good places. When we took over that space, it wasn't, what I think a lot of people might have been expecting, but being honest about it and saying, look, you know, this is what we plan to do. This is what we've got at the moment. Come and see us next month. Come and see us the month after that. Every time you walk in that door, it's going to be a new restaurant. And um, just have fun with the journey. You know, we've, we started, mm. when we started, we were serving on um, like palm leaf plates. It was very kind of DIY barbecue party Oh, feels cool. about yeah. it you know um until we could afford crockery yeah it was just and i think even in the last like couple of months i can even turn up and something's new happening we've just got a new roof we've just had extraction for the even though the fires are outside we've got some extraction to keep the neighbors happy <laughs> and it's it's a very very different beast so um that makes it exciting it makes it a, a place that i want to turn up to work every day and I think yeah. it's down to you know me and my business partners to make sure it's a it's a happy place for everyone because I don't I don't want to do I don't want to get caught up in the bullshit that you know I've done in the past I've made those mistakes in the past about how we operate restaurants you know mm -hmm. yeah I feel like um, I mean I could be wrong about this but I feel like since the pandemic people have sort of because they have to pay back these loans and they're worried about their businesses closing and things like we've sort of lost the honesty and fun. Mm. of of restaurants especially like chef led restaurants where it's just like it doesn't have to be this stuffy thing and you don't have to have all this pr and things to like you know desperately get people in the door it can just be a little more lighthearted, and i think people would appreciate that a lot more than just something that's so like you know uh has has an image built up about it you know what i mean Completely. Yeah, yeah. Listen, we, we all, as, as restaurants and all businesses, you know, we're going through tough times at the moment and, and yeah. particularly in the UK, I don't know how it compares with the States, but you know, the cost of living crisis here, there are oh. fewer people coming out. 
So yeah. same here. We know we're all in a bad boat. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like let's yeah. let's be honest. That's what's happening. How do we navigate through that? And um, uh, we're doing it. I think we, we're doing it. We we, yeah. we try and lean on. Yeah. We've got sauces and condiments that we're we're trying to bring to market at the moment. We have a our own little ferment laboratory. Um, that we oh, just yeah. we make lots of ferments and misos and pickles and things. But you know, we lean on waste and byproducts and things. We're we're next to a brewery and we're also next to a bakery. Plus our own you know daily kind of waste that we can turn into things. So there's that, and we hope to bring that to market. So and then we also have a lot of merch which um you know oh. we want to bring in some more of like a lifestyle wear to just encourage people to be outside with their barbecues and their grills all year round um yeah so you know we, we do have fun with it there's a few little angles that we can go to, to be more than just the restaurant um mm-hmm. i guess it's that thing isn't it that while i'm um optimistic that something like the pandemic won't happen again there's always a chance that it could so you know yeah, how, how do true. we pivot quicker uh, if it does. So that's, that that's was true. it, building something that was more, I guess it was building a brand rather than building a restaurant. That's what I would do. Yeah, that's true. Well, um, I'll leave it with this, but um, I, I've, I've, I've struggled with depression and, and uh, a lot of uh, addictive personality traits and stuff like that. And also working kitchens, having, you know, the, uh, that work be as tough it is, as it is. And uh, I will say one of the biggest things which i think you are uh a huge part of is is being honest about your addictions and your depression and stuff and not holding it inside like like i always use the example bourdain that he, that he held in so much and all it takes is just being honest about it and talking about it even if you don't have the solutions yeah uh it makes such a huge difference so i just want to say thank you for that i really appreciate that so thanks brother thank yeah. you yeah. So, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. I really appreciate it. All right, Zach. Thank yeah. you for having me. Pleasure. Yeah. And uh, you also have a, a podcast as well. I want to give you an opportunity to um, shout that out. You just started one. Right? Yeah, we've got one. Again, we started it originally in the pandemic. Um, and we did about eight episodes with friends, mostly chefs, but people yeah. kind of connected with food and stuff. But it was short-lived, eight episodes. Uh, things got busy after that. And it was only earlier last year that I just said to my my business partner with Pilot Light, uh, who I did it with um, originally, and we just said, look, I just miss having these catch-ups. Because every time we catch up, it's like, how are you? What, what's been happening? And we chat and chat and chat and we think fuck we should have recorded that so (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is really us just when we catch up we try and do it weekly but you know we're also chefs and get we get pulled apart a bit um it's really that it's just like let's talk about the things that are inspiring us the things that we're bringing in our lives it's not a mental health podcast it's just i guess it goes back to the 12 pillars that i was talking about earlier on it's just Let's talk about good things. Let's talk about what we're eating. Let's talk about ice baths and psychedelics and all those little bits and pieces. Because, you know, if an episode can help one person, then, you know, I'd like to think that it's worth us catching up and talking. Yeah, of course. What is it called? Then uh, where can people find it? It's called uh, Skull Session Podcast. And you should be able to find it on Apple Music, Spotify. I think it's even on Audible. But yeah. Look for it. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much, Chef. I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk and tell your story. Cheers, Zach. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you. Have a good Cheers, day, man. Bye.